Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today is Bishop Robert Barron, who is an auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles and the founder of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. He's the host of Catholicism, a groundbreaking, award-winning documentary about the Catholic faith, which aired on PBS and is also available on DVD for your parish to, to use on a, on a regular basis. We're going to talk today with Bishop Barron about atheism, agnosticism, and the rise of the nuns. I've got to ask you right off the bat, is it a cool thing to be an atheist these days? Well, first of all, can I say you forgot something important in my introduction, that I'm a personal friend and classmate of Chris Gunty. There we go, way back in seminary days. <laughs> way back in seminary days, so it's, it's good to be on with you. Is it cool to be atheist? Yeah, it probably is in the minds of a lot of younger people. And there's always been that, you know, a certain sense of rebelliousness against the establishment and religion is part of your your parents' world. And so, you know, I get that part. But there is something kind of unique, I think, in the texture of atheism today, a certain, you know, anger, there's a certain resentment that's built into it. And uh, I think that's really regrettable. But there is always some some of that factor with younger people that it's just kind of cool to stand outside the mainstream. I think the far edgier position is the religious position. I think religious people are, if you want, far cooler. They're far, they're edgier. They're they're more out there than atheists. To me, atheism is a very kind of dull position. But <laughs> we can get into that. Well, you you talked about that anger there, and and there's kind of always been some mean atheists out there. Christopher Hitchens, of course, would have been one of those. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who just simply attack believers in faith simply because they believe in a God, in a yeah. greater God. They emphasize free thinking as though you can't think freely and be religious. Why do you think yeah. that combination comes across? Well, you know, part of the problem, Chris, is is us. We met the enemy, and it's us. And what I mean is you know, after the council, you know this very well, and not because of the council. The council was super smart in its articulation, but we tended to dumb down Catholicism. We tended to mute our very rich intellectual tradition. And as a result, a lot of Catholics didn't have the means to defend themselves when atheism emerged in this new way after 9-11, which is an important part of the story. But Catholics weren't able to do it. And that's a real tragedy, you know? And so the idea that you can't be intelligent, you can't think on your own and be religious, well, tell that to Thomas Aquinas, tell that to Augustine, tell that to Karl Rahner, tell that to John Paul II. I mean, we have such a rich intellectual tradition, but we didn't pass it on well, in my judgment, to our younger Catholics. And that was part of the problem. We've got people out there who, you know, maybe sitting in the pews on Sundays, and they have a friend who is atheist or agnostic, maybe isn't sure there's a God or not. How would you recommend somebody approach a person like that with information about God, about Catholicism? Where do you start? Pope Francis is really good here, I think, is the starting point might not be intellectual right off the bat. The starting point might be friendship and trust, you know, and so... For someone to see a religious person as a good, decent person 
and is obviously smart, that helps a, that goes a long way. So if the view is, oh, religious people are just, you know, they're old um, fuddy-duddies, or they're, they're stupid, and they're hypocritical, so I'm not going to pay attention. The first step can be just, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a decent, smart, nice person, and, and I'm, I'm reaching out to you. That's maybe the most important step, certainly the most important first step. Then I think you listen, and the Pope is also very good here. Don't presume you know what the person needs to hear. Something I found, Chris, in dealing with younger people on my Internet work is there's so many textures of, of non-belief. Do you know what I mean? Everything mm-hmm. from, oh, I'm kind of vaguely wondering about it to I'm aggressively opposed to it and everything in between. What's the person's background? What's their experience of religion? When did they first start having trouble with it? What are their own objections and questions? See, so the second step, I think, is, is that kind of patient listening. Think of, you know, the great model here, by the way, is the Road to Emmaus story, right? Is yeah, Jesus one of my favorite, just one of my favorite accounts in the scripture. Yeah, and it's so good on this issue because he first just walks with them. You know, he's not imposing anything. He's not proselytizing. He's not uh, evangelizing. He's just walking in fellowship. But then that wonderful moment when, in, with kind of sly irony, you know, oh, we, you know, we're talking about what happened in Jerusalem, and oh, really, tell me what, what happened in Jerusalem. And so he's, he's listening to them. He listens. But then it's very interesting, because at a decisive moment, Jesus gets pretty sharp and directive. And he says, you fools, how slow you are to understand, didn't you realize, right? And then he goes through... It looks like a pretty long apologetic, and he explains himself against the backdrop of the Old Testament, right? So to me, it's a great model of how you would do it. A lot of trust building, walking with, patient listening, but then the moment. And you say, okay, I got something to say. I got something to tell you. Having heard you and your life and your questions, here's a response from our great tradition. I think that's, that's the way you do it. And we know that what happened in that story is once their eyes were opened, their hearts were on fire. Yeah. And they, and no, they ran right. back to the, the apostles and said, we've seen the Lord. Yeah, they become evangelists themselves. But the, the, the heart on fire thing is so important because the trouble with atheism is, as I said, it's a shutting down of the mind and the heart. Because we know our minds and hearts, Augustine told us this a long time ago, they're, they're wired for God, right? They, they don't find satisfaction in any simply worldly truth or any worldly accomplishment. They always press us restlessly beyond whatever the world can give, because they're ordered to God. Our hearts are restless, right? So the atheist ideology that says, no, no God, no transcendent, only this world, what that does is it shuts down the, the restless heart. It freezes it, you know? So when you speak of sacred things in a way that's compelling to people, of course their hearts catch on fire. Of course they do, because they were built for that. You know, it's like when you, you throw a, a, a ball to a dog and it runs after it. The dog was built for that. Yeah. If you just coop the dog up in his little pen all day, he's going to become cramped and, and uh, he'll dry up, right? But when you let a dog be a dog, and so, see, we're, we're naturally religious. That's my point. We're we're naturally oriented to God. 
And so when you start speaking the things of God, people's hearts catch on fire. You've had the benefit of getting exposure to broad audiences, religious and non-religious. You had a live event at Facebook headquarters a while back. You've had other venues to do that. Are those kinds of audiences that are not necessarily Catholic, not necessarily even religious in any way, are they receptive to your message? Yeah, they, they were both cases. I, I spoke at Facebook and then at Google, and I've got an invitation pending at, actually at Amazon up in Seattle. But I, I love both those, those uh, opportunities. I got a tour of the Facebook headquarters, which is very interesting, up near you know San Francisco. Yeah. And um, it's like if you gave a millennial all the money in the world, that's what they would build. Yeah, I've been <laughs> there too. It's, it's amazing. Like a, it's an amazing place. And then I addressed on site a, a relatively small audience, but then, of course, it goes out through all of their, you know, so it went out to hundreds of thousands of people. And there was a chance, or maybe only at Google, there was a chance for questions from the, the wider world. But they were very receptive. I found the audiences very kind. Q&A was lively in both cases, but not in any way disrespectful. And the Google one has gone up on their Google Talks page on YouTube. So they have all these, you know, musicians and actors and people come in. And so my talk is up there. And uh, they didn't censor me in any way. They didn't say, you can't talk about this or that. And the questions were good. So no, I, I was delighted with both those. What do Catholics need to know to be able to answer questions from friends or coworkers about the existence of God? If it gets that point, and sometimes it does, and people just say, look, I don't believe in God, and uh, show me. I, I think here's the first thing, Chris, I would say, we have a very rich intellectual tradition precisely around this question. Classically speaking, you could come up with about 20 very powerful arguments for God's existence. Now, is every one of them completely compelling to anyone that hears them? I'd say no. But if you look at these arguments, um, the argument from contingency, the ontological argument, arguments from causality, arguments from morality, arguments from religious experience, etc., if you look at them and then see the cumulative effect, they have an extraordinarily powerful impact on people. So I think the first thing is, is to know that. I've told uh, religious educators and catechists, especially today when there's so much resistance, have a good argument for God's existence in your toolkit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Is, is take one of these arguments, know it really well, understand the objections to it. There are tons of books out now around this stuff. I've written a little stuff, things about it, but a lot of people have. Get a good grasp on one of these arguments, and then... Bring it out when people, you know, raise objections. My own experience, go back now many, many years before I even knew you, when I was 14 years old, and it was an argument for God's existence in high school freshman religion class that had a decisive influence on me. You know, I was going to church, I believed in God, but to, to hear this argument had an extraordinary power for me. So I, I think every educator, every, every parent of kids, get one of these good books, have, have in simple form, but one of these arguments in your toolkit, I think it'll be helpful. And that was a great thing. You and I both were in some of the same philosophy classes back in college, and yeah. I think we learned some of those great lessons from Aquinas and some of the other doctors of the church. Yeah. We're going to take a break now, and when we come back after the break, we're talking with Bishop Bob Barron, Auxiliary Bishop of Los Angeles and founder of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. We're going to talk some more about the existence of God and about the Catholicism video series and what's going on with that. You're listening to Catholic Baltimore. 
Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. No effort must be spared to prevent future cases of clerical sexual abuse and to prevent the possibility of their being covered up, Pope Francis said in a letter dated and released August 20th. I acknowledge once more the suffering endured by many minors due to sexual abuse, the abuse of power, and the abuse of conscience, perpetrated by a significant number of clerics and consecrated persons, he wrote. To read more on the crisis, visit archbolt.org accountability. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Emily Rosenthal. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time. The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have the Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice a week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. We're talking today with Bishop Bob Barron, Auxiliary Bishop of Los Angeles and founder of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. We were talking right before the break about the existence of God and having one thing in your toolkit. Intellectually or spiritually, personally, what's your number one proof that God exists? Well, if I was pressed, I'd probably say the argument from contingency. And you could state it actually pretty simply. It goes like this. The things around us are contingent in their being. Just a fancy way of saying they're dependent. They don't explain themselves. So think of this telephone I'm on right now with you. It exists, certainly, but it doesn't have to exist. There's nothing necessary about it. In fact, it was put together by all kinds of you know, forces and, and assembly lines, et cetera, et cetera. Think of my own existence right now or yours. So here we are. We exist, no question about it. But we don't have to exist. And in fact, our existence right now is dependent upon the air we're breathing, upon the food and drink that we've taken in. It was dependent long ago on the parents that brought us into being, right? Okay, so if something is contingent, doesn't explain itself, we have to look to a cause or causes. And, and I've already hinted at that in, in, in these two cases. Okay, once we find those causes, are they self-explanatory or are they contingent? And you say, well, yeah, they're contingent. My parents had parents. Uh, the food that I took in and the drink, well, they were dependent on all kinds of other factors to exist. The oxygen I'm breathing depends on all kinds of chemical factors, upon the gravity which is holding it to the earth, et cetera, et cetera, right? All right, so then we got to go back further. What caused them? And we find a whole range of things. Well, are they self-explanatory or are they contingent? The one thing you can't do is go on indefinitely in this way, because then you haven't found any explanation for existence. So you come finally, and here's the conclusion of the argument, you come finally to some reality whose very nature is to be, some reality which does exist through the power of its own essence. And this is what we call 
God. And just think for a second, it's cool, because now you make a biblical connection. When Moses asked God in Exodus 3.14, what's your name? You know, what do I tell the Israelites when they ask? And God says, I am who I am, right? Put that in philosophical terms, is I'm not a contingent being. I'm not one thing among many. But I am the very act of existence. My very nature is to be. That's what we mean by God. And I think that's a cool way to get at God rationally. Is, is Now, mind you, too, open up a person's mind. Don't settle for some, some unsatisfying explanation. No, keep going. Keep going. Where'd that come from? Where'd that come from? What caused that? You say, oh, well, it's the universe. Well, the universe is just a, the sum total of contingent things. That doesn't even explain anything. I heard a joke a long time ago about uh, scientists who come to God and they say, we've done it, we've figured out how to create life from nothing. And God says, okay, you're on. And they're saying, just like you did. And so he, they, the scientists come out and they stoop down and they pick up some earth and they're going to breathe onto it just like God did in Scripture. And, he goes, and God says, wait a minute, you need to create your own dirt. That's right. <laughs> so Where does it come back, from? It, it comes back to that. It comes back to that. Yeah, and, and it, actually it's very interesting because that's a philosophically important point. If you say, if some people do, oh, okay, I, I get that argument, but what you end up with is just like matter. You know, matter has always been there. No, no, see, because matter never exists as such, right? Matter always exists in some form, some configuration, at some speed, at some temperature, you know what I'm saying? And therefore, it has to be explained. Well, how come it's in that form and not the other one? How come it's this temperature and not that one? How come it's at that speed and not this one? Therefore, it needs to be caused. The point there is, what I'm talking about, the ultimate cause of the being of things, can't be something material, which is why we say, for example, that God is not material, but God is a spirit. That's not just a, a sort of pious expression. That's a very precise philosophical statement. God cannot be material because the first cause of all things has to be beyond potentiality. God is a pure spirit. Let's shift gears a little bit. You started work on your video series, Catholicism, 10 years ago. It's been seen on mm-hmm. PBS. It's seen in Catholic parishes all around the country. What's been the impact on that for Catholics around the country? Oh, I'm, I'm just very grateful to God. It's had a good impact. And when we made that series a long time ago, there was a group of us, and we felt this mission we felt this kind of call to do it, but honestly, I didn't know how it would be received. People would ask me, you know, what's your distribution strategy? And I'm like, I don't really know. We're well, in a prayer. We just, we, yeah, we just we wanted to do it, so we raised the money. We wanted to do it at a high level. That was important to us. So we, we had to raise a lot of money, and then we traveled the world, and we filmed it, and then we got it out, first in the Catholic space, then through PBS, it got out to the much wider space. And it's been used and um, and spread in a way that I, I never imagined possible. And it's a source of tremendous joy to me, you know. And to this day, I mean, people will tell us they you know, came back to the faith because of it. Um, I, I had a sense of, of renewal of my faith because of it. I went to RCIA because of it. And that always gives me tremendous joy. You're now working on a series about the Mass. I mean, so you're following that up. Even for Catholics who attend Mass every week, why do they need to learn? Why do they need to learn? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it just came out. The Mass video came out in late June. 
And we filmed it last October here in Santa Barbara, where I'm, that's where I live. And um, we got about a thousand people in this beautiful church in Santa Barbara. And I gave six lectures, which were then filmed, and then, you know, they, they edited it and put it together nicely. But, you know, Chris, I, I think you and I know this, that Vatican II called for a revival of the Mass, right? That they wanted a keener sense of active participation in the Mass. But the sad truth, I think, is that the Mass has gone into a kind of decline. Seventy-five percent of our own Catholic brothers and sisters stay away from Mass on a regular basis. And I'm convinced even a lot of people that come to Mass don't really understand what the Mass is or what's going on at Mass. So I felt very, very strongly about this, that we had to get something out. And what I relied on are the liturgical movement people, Carl Adam, Romano Guardini, Hansers von Balthasar, Reynold Hillenbrand, the great figure from Chicago that we both knew, mm-hmm. knew of, we didn't know him personally, but was rector at Mundelein Seminary, the young Josef Ratzinger. I mean, these are the people that I relied on in giving these lectures to talk about what the Mass is and why, really, it's an exercise of the priestly identity of all the baptized. You know, Vatican II stressed that, right, that every baptized person is priest, prophet, and king. Well, you stay away from the Mass, you're staying away from your priestly identity. You're someone who's now meant to give right praise and right worship to God. And then that's meant to lead you back out into the world as a prophet and a king. Right now, to make the world into into the kingdom of God, I that think other people on fire been lost. Yeah, right. Go. The mass has ended. Now go and and transform the world. But I just think a lot of that's been forgotten, and that's why I wanted to do this series. One more thing: we've got just a little bit of time before we run out of airtime. You're going to be one of the delegates of the U.S. bishops to the Synod in Rome this fall regarding young people, the faith, and vocational discernment. What do you hope to bring to that discussion with Pope Francis and other bishops from around the world? And what do you hope to learn? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, first of all. I got elected last November, and then we couldn't really talk about it until it was formally announced. And that only happened, I don't know, a few weeks ago. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a great opportunity to you know, be with bishops from all over the world, be with the Pope every day. I mean, that'll be a, a tremendous uh, privilege. My, my hope, Chris, is to bring a lot of what we just talked about today to the Synod, is to talk about apologetics, to talk about how the Church should reach out to young people, what's bugging them and why, you know? And then what I'm interested really in learning is from this this wide range of, of bishops, you know, what's working? What's this like in other parts of the world? I'm coming at it from a very Western perspective. You know, I, I understand our country and Western Europe and all that. But, you know, young people in Africa, young people in Asia, young people in Latin America, I really am very eager to find out what's going on there, what's the same, what's different. But it'll be, I think, a a great experience. And I envy you that. I think that would be a great thing to to be a part of. But I'm no longer a young person, so. Yeah, we're not young anymore, are we? But we can (laughs) pontificate about the young. That's our job now. Well, thank you so much for being with us. We've been talking with Bishop Bob Barron, Auxiliary Bishop of Los Angeles, founder of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries and producer of documentaries about Catholicism and the Mass and all of those things that help us stay connected to our faith. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today. You're welcome, Chris. My joy. My pleasure. Thanks. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Baltimore.
For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks, and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.